their qualifications are simply this, that they have been with Jesus. And Jesus has chosen them, Jesus has selected them, and Jesus has now sent them out. That's their equipping. Discipleship is high. It will require from you everything. And so you need to assess the cost of discipleship prior to committing to following me. And so this is the theme that will follow. So beginning from verse 6, And Jesus marveled, we read, because of their unbelief. That was back in Nazareth that we looked at last week. Jesus marveled because of the unbelief there in his hometown. And he went about among the villages teaching. So here we see right away Jesus' absolute indiscourageability. And I know that indiscourageability is not a word, at least not until right now when I just made it a word, but indiscourageability, I don't know how else to put the reality of Jesus's absolute inability to be discouraged from his mission. That word there, discourage, we, we know what that word's saying to us, courage, meaning a fortitude, a strength to go about something, discourage, meaning the opposite of that, lacking of the courage or the fortitude ability, discourageability, the ability to be uncouraged or discouraged, and Jesus' absolute indiscourageability, the inability of anything to discourage Jesus from his mission. We remember back from chapter 1, we remember as Jesus met there with great success as he's teaching and healing and the people are flocking about him and the apostles come to him the next morning and Jesus has gotten up before the sun to find time to pray and the, and the disciples come to him and they say, why are you over here by yourself? All the crowds there are clamoring for you. You are experiencing this great popularity and Jesus' answer to that success is, let's be going. I've got a mission to be on. Now here in chapter 6, the polar opposite of that happens. This is the most discouraging, potentially discouraging time of Jesus' ministry when his hometown rejects him and rejects him so resolutely, and yet his answer is the same. Let's be going. We've got a mission to be on. We've got another teaching tour to begin. So Jesus is unable to be discouraged from his mission that he's on. And the mission that he's on, the central focus of his mission is the mission of teaching and preaching. So he says, we need to begin this next tour. I need to be teaching. It doesn't matter. They've rejected me here. They didn't reject me there. The crowds are over here. It doesn't matter, but let's be going. And now verse seven. So he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. So literally he called the 12 and he began to apostolane them or apostle them. He called the apostles and he began to apostle them because that word apostle means to send out. So the apostles are the sent ones. So he calls the sent ones in order to send the sent ones out. So he calls them and began to send them out two by two. Now, the way that that reads, I take it to mean that Jesus didn't necessarily send all 12 apostles out simultaneously. Instead, it seems that he just began a process or began a habit, so to speak, of sending out a team, a set of apostles from time to time, maybe to the village next to the one that he was here teaching in or to the village he had just left or this village over here. And so perhaps he would pick two and he would send these over two over there while he and the rest went over to this other village. And he began this habit of sending them out two by two. He sends them, I would take it multiple times. Perhaps he's sending two here and then a little bit later he sends two more. Perhaps they're not always with the same partner. Perhaps they're teamed up with different partners. 
Uh, you got to wonder, you know, did he send the two brothers together? You know, there's, there's three sets of brothers. Did he send Peter and Andrew together? Did he send James and John together? Or did he mix them up? All those questions are left unanswered, particularly the question of who was it that got teamed up with Judas? Wouldn't you want to know who it was that was teamed up with Judas? But he sends these two out, two by two. In verse 7 again, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. So he calls the twelve. We recognize there that it's exactly twelve that he sends out. No more, no less. And so that reminds us, of course, of the reality here that Jesus is saying to us in the sending out of the twelve and the choosing of the twelve apostles, he's reminding us that he is the new Israel. Our thoughts are taken back, of course, to the twelve leaders of the or the twelve sons of Jacob who became the twelve leaders of the twelve tribes of Israel. <clears throat> And then, of course, all that points us to the 12 apostles. And all this is saying to us that Jesus here is claiming for himself the identity of the new Israel. He sends out these 12 apostles. And the the thing that would strike me as I was reading through this, the thing that would strike me, if, if I were Jesus, I think that the first thing that I would say as I approach this text, I, w- I would just say, they're not ready. There is no way that these apostles are ready to be sent out to do such a mission as this. Wouldn't you, th- wouldn't you say that? Because everything up in, in the story up until this point has been nothing but just the, the fumbling failures and misunderstandings of the apostles one after the other. We remember from back in chapter one that they objected to his travel plans. He says, it's time for us to go over here. And, and it's, they, it's as though they want to stand in his way. No, we've got a really good thing going here at Capernaum, Jesus. Or in chapter four, remember how they're angry uh, or they're upset that he's asleep. Are you sleeping while we're about to drown here, Jesus? Or chapter five, they just seem incredulous that Jesus is so concerned over one person who touched him. Over and over, they're just displaying this lack of spiritual aptitude. And then, of course, we think forward to chapter 8. Chapter 8, and we're gonna, they're going to put on grand display the fact that they don't really get any of this yet. As they say to Jesus, no, Jesus... We're not going to let that happen. We're not going to let you be handed over to the Gentiles and be arrested and and put on trial. We're not going to let that happen, Jesus. We've got too good of a thing going here. Now, I realize that it was Peter saying those words. But as we get to chapter eight and we look at that passage, we're going to see that Mark presents that passage to us as though Peter is simply the spokesman for all of them. All 12 of them are on the on board with the same idea. No, Jesus, this is not the direction that we're going. So again and again, we're faced with this reality that the disciples just don't seem ready for such a task as this. And yet, nevertheless, they are sent out, which must be for, at least for Mark's readers there in the church in Rome, it must be a great encouragement to see Jesus entrusting such apostles as these who are lacking, so evidently lacking in spiritual aptitude. Nevertheless, they are sent out and they are equipped for the mission as well as us. I mean, what an encouragement to us to recognize the fact that all of God's sent out ones are totally unprepared for any of his sending out. All of God's sending out takes place in the context of those who are ill-equipped for such a sending out. The equipping that the apostles have for being sent out Their training is not finished. Their education is not finished. Their understanding is completely lacking. But their qualifications are simply this, that they have been with Jesus. And Jesus has chosen them. Jesus has selected them. And Jesus has now sent them out. That's their equipping. That's their preparation. That's all that they need. 
It reminds me of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he says to the Corinthians there, Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The equipping of the the apostles... The success of their being sent out has nothing to do with their preparation efforts. It has everything to do with their time of being with Jesus, with their being selected by Jesus, with their relationship to Him, with His choosing of them. Think of the apostles of Peter and John in Acts chapter 2 when we read that they recognized that Peter and John were uneducated men, but they saw that they had been with Jesus. The same thing is true for the equipping of all of God's sent out ones today, which, by the way, all of the called ones are also the sent out ones. So all of the sent out ones today are prepared in the same way. Now, this is to say nothing disparaging about human efforts at preparation for taking the sea to the world and scattering the sea to the world. This is to say nothing disparaging about those who might being called to the ministry, would go and put efforts into a seminary education or a theological education. This is to say nothing against those who would devote themselves to the study of Scripture or to those things that people have written to explain Scripture, to equip one to explain the principles of Scripture. This is to say nothing of that. But all of those amount to the same thing, which is to say, in Paul's words, the working out of our salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing that it's God who's doing the working in us, that the equipping truly and rightly is given to us through relationship with Christ and through the calling of Christ. Furthermore, that equipping is done in such a way as to show, as we'll see in the passage today, as to show that the power is God and God alone. So he sends them out these 12 apostles that all of us in the room would have said, they are completely not ready for this. Jesus says, they're ready because they know me. So he sends them out. He began to send them out two by two. So they're not going to a new work. They're not doing a new thing. They're not going to new places. They're not giving new teaching. They are teaching what Jesus has taught them. They're doing the same things Jesus has been doing. They're going to the same places that Jesus has gone. This is, this is not now the apostles' hour. This is not now the time to, to shine the light on the apostles because the apostles will go out doing the same thing that Jesus has been doing. And he sends them out, we're told, two by two. So as he sends them out two by two, Mark, by the way, is the only one who tells us that they're sent out two by two. But as they're sent out two by two, we can immediately recognize the wisdom in sending them out two by two. As we read in Ephesians, I'm sorry, not Ephesians, but Ecclesiastes 4, we're reminded of the, the advantage of two going together, one can support another when one stumbles, when one grows weak, when one grows tired or discouraged, then there's another there who can be of a support and a help. And so as, as these apostles go to this village over here and they begin talking about Jesus and how they believe Him to be Messiah and they're met with the rejection that they will be met with and one becomes discouraged and just wants to leave, well, then there's the other to come along and, and, and offer encouragement and say, no, Jesus sent us here. He knows what He's doing. Jesus Himself was rejected in His own hometown. So we can be rejected here and we can continue to teach and to preach as He sent us out to do. So one can encourage another as one gets weak or one gets tired. But then also we recognize the the Jewish recognition 
of the validity of two witnesses. We've seen this throughout our Old Testaments. We see it in the New Testament, how the scriptures will repeatedly tell us that the validity of a testimony is established with two or more witnesses. And so this is also an establishing of the testimony as two go out. It's not one lone person going into the streets or into a village to begin pronouncing the teaching that Jesus has been giving them and one person alone to say, I'm here to tell you this, but instead it's validated by another witness. And the hearers would have heard that, they would have seen that, and they would have recognized that, which also, by the way, points us forward to the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus will go up the Mount of Transfiguration, and there will be the two witnesses there for Him, Moses and Elijah there, to validate His testimony. But they're sent out two by two, and it's interesting how the New Testament, or the New, Ch- New Testament church, the early church, picked up on this practice as we read through the book of Acts, and we recognize over and over and over that that is the way that the apostles go about the work of the early church throughout the entire book of Acts. We, we find Paul and Silas together. We find Peter and John together. We find uh, 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 Peter and uh, we find Peter and John together. We find Paul and Barnabas. We find Mark and Barnabas together. In fact, throughout the entire book of the Acts, the only occasion I can think of in which we find one apostle by himself. It's when Paul is in Athens by himself, and he's by himself because he's waiting on Timothy to show up. And so every other instance that I know of in the book of Acts, there's always at least two apostles or more going about the work that they're going about. So he sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority. So the authority we see is given to them by Jesus. It's a delegated authority. It's an authority given to them. They're not going out in their own authority saying, I say to you, Thus says the Lord, or repent. They're going out in the authority that Jesus has given to them, delegated to them. Their authority is coming from another, and their hearers would have recognized that. They would have recognized the principle that the one sent out carries the same authority as the one who is doing the sending. The authority rests with the sender, and when the sender sends them out, he sends them with his own authority. So he gave them the authority, but he gave them the authority, we're told, over the unclean spirits. So here we see that the authority of the true strong man is now extended to those that he sends out. We've seen this repeatedly in Mark's gospel. It's one of his themes is that the strong man, the true strong man is here. And he's here to cast out the false strong man, the lesser strong man, the wrong strong man, the unrightful strong man who has taken control in a manner of speaking of the true strong man's kingdom. Now the strong man, Jesus, has returned and he goes about kicking out the lesser strong man. But what's interesting here is that Jesus gives to his servants the same authority over the lesser strong man that he himself also has, because authority is given to them over the unclean spirits, over the demonic. So as they go about, they are the voice of Jesus. They are the the authority of Jesus. We remember from, of course, Matthew 28, when Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, you can go and you can Make disciples and you can baptize in my name because all authority is mine and therefore I vest you with the authority that is mine. So the true strong man has claimed all authority and he invests his servants with the authority that they are to go out and they are to cast out these unclean spirits. Now here we must pause for just a moment 
and just make sure that we don't misunderstand what the passage is implying to us. Because as Jesus invests these apostles with the authority over unclean spirits, and they, are, they tell Jesus in verse 30 that they cast out many demons. As we see this, we must not take this to mean that we too are invested with a similar type of authority. Because nowhere in the New Testament are we told that believers are given authority to cast out any sort of demonic spirit. Here we are reading about an incident in the life of Jesus, in the the proceedings of Jesus' ministry, an incident that was a one-time type of affair. This is not an incident in Jesus' ministry that was repeated. This was a one-time event. And we'll see this in some other ways. For example, Jesus, we'll see in just a moment, sends them out with no bread, no bag, no anything. And then later He's going to send them out again, but this time they will take supplies with them. So we see here that this is, not, this is not a pattern to be repeated. The apostles are vested with the authority over the demonic, but nowhere does that lead us to believe that we too have the same type of authority over the demonic. Our master absolutely does. Our master has all authority over all demonic powers and all the powers of the air and the princes of the air. We read that in Ephesians. But we as his servants... We rest in His authority, but we are never sent out in such a way as this. 